Hi, everybody. You're listening to the Finding the Origination Point podcast. The origination point is connected to bias awareness and bias deconstruction. And the origination point is the notion that all of our biases, implicit or explicit, have a point in time where they started, where we were given a narrative or had an experience with a small group of people that then we extrapolate to a larger group of people. And the reason why the origination point is so important is because that is the point of healing and understanding. So as we're deconstructing and making our biases more conscious, the origination point supports us in understanding where they came from and healing any emotional impacts that they're currently having in our lives. So sit back, open your mind, open your heart, and let's see if we can find your origination points to bias. Hi, everybody. Bill De La Cruz here. You're listening to the Origination Point podcast. And I have to say it's been a while since I put anything out there because like so many of you, I've just been working to get through the craziness of 2020, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be doing it, who I'm supposed to be doing it with, and going through so many emotional roller coasters. I can't even tell you from being sad to being excited to being angry to being frustrated to being lonely. And I didn't want to put stuff out in that frame of mind because I didn't want to just share a perspective from a deficit place. And I mean that by when I see the things that I went through, sometimes the way that I thought about them was deficit-based. And I didn't want to put stuff out there to come off as a victim or as somebody who's being inordinately affected by what we've all experienced in 2020. Because we've all been impacted by this last year in more intense ways than I think we've been aware of. I know for me that's true. Like the last year and the awareness and the things that I'm seeing come to fruition are both scary and encouraging. And I'm going to talk to you about a lot of different things during this podcast that you're listening to. And what I want to start with is letting you know why I do this because I think it's really important. I read Simon Sinek's book about finding your why, and he says people don't follow how or what, they follow why. And so for me, the reason why I do these podcasts, why I talk to hundreds of people a week, why I don't say no when people want to talk about personal growth or the systemic structures we operate in or race or class or bias, is because I really want to create a more humane world. And that why has been driving me for many, many years. And so it's important for you to know what my motivation is in sharing my work. It's not to label, it's not to judge, it's not to demean, it's not to denigrate, which also are all deficit-based words. It's meant to lift and empower and inspire and encourage. And... I hope you take it in that way. And if you don't, if you hear something that I say, or if you don't agree with something that I say, take a minute and think about it. And don't judge me based on your lack of understanding or lack of agreement in my perspective. Because that's not what this is about. This is about understanding that in our country and in our communities, there are multiple perspectives. And we are essentially cutting off each other's perspectives through the lens of the stereotypes and the judgments and the biases and all of the labels that we're putting on each other. Rather than seeing the humanity that we have and how do we work together to continue to move forward from where we are. 
because where we are is pretty crazy. We have a pandemic that, depending on your perspective, you either believe it's real or you believe it's all made up. And yet millions of people are dying around the world because of it. This pandemic disrupted everyone's normalcy. And by that, I mean it disrupted all of our routines, just the little things that we do day to day. I think for me, I'm starting to see how much I depended on those, how much I relied on some regularity in my day. And I've also realized that some of the relationships that I have, I probably didn't take as good of care of because now I've had to see what life is like without them just having to stay in my own little bubble and not feeling like I can go out without a mask or in crowds of people. And that's my personal choice. Again, we've even created this identity around people who wear a mask, that if you wear a mask, you're this, and if you don't wear a mask, you're that. And so there's so much of that going on. That's one element of what we're all facing. And then we look at things like the educational system and how kids across this country are now having to do things that most adults couldn't do, which is sit in front of a computer for two or three hours at a time attempting to learn with varying levels of support at home and with the internet. And nobody knows how we're going to fix the educational system. Nobody knows how we're going to get through this pandemic. There are a lot of experiments going on and there are a lot of people testing out a lot of things and yet we still haven't found the answer. The racial unrest that we have is, is not new or not surprising. That's been brewing in our country for hundreds of years. And so what we're seeing today with that, again, is another repercussion of labeling each other based on race. Not only do we label each other, we have created all of these stereotypes about each other based on the skin color. And we can all say, well, race is just a very small percentage of who we are, or the science says it's less than 1% of our total genealogy. Don't quote me on that because I'm not a scientist. I know it's a very small amount though. And yet from a socialized perspective, we put everything on race. That's the first thing that we see. We see a white person and we think, are they a supremacist or are they not? Do they like people of color or do they not? Do Are they rich or are they poor? Are they in power or are they not in power? We see a brown person and we might wonder if they're one of the bad ones or one of the good ones. And with black people, we're socialized to fear. In some ways, we're just being socialized to be afraid of each other every single day. And as we see the, the civil unrest now that we are experiencing, I have to say that it's not going to play itself out in the short term, that this is another adaptation that all of us are going to have to decide how are we going to move through this. Because when you look at education, when you look at our healthcare system, who's fully strained and every inequity that's always been there is now fully known. And then we look at our political system. What we are seeing in reality is not so much the unraveling of these systems, we're seeing the transformation of these systems. All of these systems were designed to benefit a small group of people. And it was those mostly white men back in the 17, 1800s when they were designing systems and maybe in their mind, they said, well, this is what this country is going to look like. So let's just create these systems for all these other, for people who look like us. Let's just design these systems for people who look like us. And then the most challenging piece of that was connected to that was this narrative or this stereotype that anyone who doesn't reflect us is inferior. And so that was based on race, that was based on gender. So pretty much if you weren't a white man, the narrative is and was that you're inferior. And so 
All of these things were set in motion hundreds of years ago. And now we're at a point in our evolution where we have to work through these things by talking, by fighting, by whatever it is that needs to happen over the next few years for us to move through this. Now, the destruction of people and property to me is not the approach that I want to take. I believe more of a approach that gets people talking, that gets us thinking, that increases our self-awareness and starts to humanize who we are. And I see all kinds of leaders demonizing people and denigrating people and making excuses for people's behavior. I don't see a whole lot of leaders that are speaking to the question of what is my role in this? How am I complicit in this system that is going through this huge transformation right before all of our eyes. And we can choose to be complacent and just watch it, or we can choose to blame other people and say, well, it's their fault. Or my choice is I'm going to really self-examine really critically my role in this system and really understand that if I'm going to go through this and learn something, then I have to look at it what it means for my own personal growth for my own trains of thoughts, for my own narratives, for my own ways that I see people through my lenses of stereotypes and biases and judgments. I guarantee you that the way we're going is not going to get us the results that we want if we want to have a more humane world, like I do, or if we want to create connections with each other. And so as you listen to some of these things, when you get emotionally charged, turn the podcast off and think about what is it in you that's causing that emotional charge. Because I'm not doing that to you. All I'm doing is sharing with you a perspective and a lens. And all I'm asking you to do is think about it. I know there are no absolutes in this work. And that everybody comes into it from a different perspective. I also know that personal work is the beginning of any kind of sustainable change. And by that, I mean increasing your self-awareness, being critical, self-reflective, really understanding what it means for intent and impact and making changes based on the impact. So intent is, to me, intent is aspirational. It's something future-oriented. So when I work with a group, when I go to an event, when I'm speaking, when I'm sharing, when I'm interacting with my family and my friends, I have an intention. And typically that intention is for things to go well, for me to not say something that's demeaning of another person, for me to be respectful and caring and compassionate because those are things that I value in my life, to be open, to hear someone else's point of view, to really take it in, even if I fundamentally don't agree with their perspective and doing my best to do that all the time, which is really hard. And so when I'm talking about personal growth and, and being aware of what's happening in intention, it's understanding that all of that is aspirational because none of it has happened yet. And then when we get to impact, that's factual. The impact is what actually happened in this interaction, in this conversation, in this gathering, and what was my role. So what we saw in our capital on January 6th was thousands of people. And what I know about those thousands of people is everyone had an intention in being there. And because I will probably never talk to most of them. I will never know exactly what their intention is. So all I can do is cover the spectrum of things that I think might be true. That there were some people going there who just thought they were supporting someone who they believe in and an approach that they believe in. And at the same time, feeling like 
what happened wronged him. And they just wanted to go there to show in bodily form their belief in that perspective. On the other extreme, there were some people who went there to do damage. And you could see it by people carrying zip ties and people carrying shields and people carrying things to hit each other with. And then you have a whole group of people in the middle who just have as many people as there are reasons why they were there. And so what we do, what we do, <laughs> what we do is then we just put this label of white supremacists on every one of them. And we just treat them all like we believe that to be true. And I think that's the challenge of our humanity today is that we have to stop seeing each other as labels and start to see each other as people and have conversations about what's, what's actually happening. Now, there's a group of people that want to be engaged in a more physical approach to change. And they will do that no matter how I ask them not to, at least at the beginning, because there's a lot of energy there. It's a lot of pent-up energy. And when people feel wronged, this is what happens. And so how do we look at our own personal growth? And how do we become self-aware to look at our complicity in this same system that we now see is in a huge transformation? And that's, to me, what I believe is happening and where I'm going to put my energy. And so thinking about it from that perspective, none of these things happened overnight. We didn't get into these racial issues in the last four years or eight years or 12 years, or um, even our pandemic and these systems coming to a head. Everything happened for a reason right now. And it's these systems that we operate in which aren't designed for the diversity of people who are now here. And, and so when we look at systems, me as a human being, I am a system, and then the places that I operate in are all rooted in some level of systemic structure. And so when we talk about wanting to disrupt systemic racism or systemic bias, these are some of the things that are happening as a result of that desire because we can't look at them in a vacuum. We can't look at them from an intellectual perspective. This work is really about understanding the experience of another human being and how they're marginalized. And right now, there are a lot of groups in America being marginalized based on every identifying factor you could think of race, age, gender, religion, political ideology, uh, profession. We are really good at labeling and dividing each other. And so the only way that's going to change is not from a political perspective. I spent six years as a politician on a school board in Colorado and worked at the state level at the legislative session and and I saw really good bills that would have benefited a lot of children go down because the person who brought it was a Republican and all the Democrats vote, voted against it, or the person who brought it was a Democrat and all the Republicans voted against it. And so this division that we've had is built into the system. It's not new. It's just come to the point where it can't continue in this way because it's hurting the same people that the system is supposed to represent. And representative government is a great idea, only it's changed in 400 years. When representative government started back in the day, 17, 1800s, it was really hard to just get your stagecoach or your horse or walk to the capital where the seat of business was being done as the country was growing to have your voice heard. So we elected representatives, and the idea is that they would go and represent our point of view. 
Well, America was much smaller then. And I think that the lenses that people brought were a little narrower because most of the people of color were not engaged in it. They were slaves or they were told to assimilate or they were killed or something else happened where they were marginalized. And so this marginalization is still completely inherent in what we're seeing today. Only now we can justify it. You see people arguing, well, that was just taken out of context. And and the reason why this happened was because of the internet or because of this or because of this. And it's just making excuses. And you can't make an excuse for the impact. The impact of what we saw on January 6th was pretty horrific. And for those people who was not, that was not their intention, they still have to own the impact of their overall behavior. Even though I stood in the back and all I wanted to do was honor somebody, I was part of a group that did harm upon others in the same name of that person. And so instead of focusing on the person, let's talk about the harm, talk about the impact. What's going on here? What is the real conversation that we need to be having? Because it's not about a president that's about to leave, and it's certainly not going to be about a president who is coming in. And the reason that I say that is one of the things that I learned about the political structure as it's set up is it's not designed to solve our community issues. It's set up to hold people in power, mostly white men, and to use that power in ways that they believe are representative. When mostly a number of politicians are representing their role in a way that feeds their ideology and not mine. And so, so what needs to happen in the political system is we really have to talk about what does representative government look like? in a diverse democracy. And so as we start to think about these things, there really are some deeper level level conversations. The race conversation isn't just about who's more marginalized based on skin color. That's pretty obvious. It's black people. The bigger question is how do we deconstruct all of these socialized stereotypes that we have about each other to see the humanity that we all bring? I have worked in this profession of talking to people about the emotional and behavioral impacts of biases and stereotypes and judgments in our interactions for 20 years. And I've had the opportunity to talk to thousands of people across the country. And what I have found is there is a very, very, very silent majority of folks out there. And you might be one of them listening to this who don't believe in what's happening, who aren't approaching it from a political perspective, and who also aren't speaking up. And somebody said in a workshop a few weeks ago that we had that, well, people don't talk because they're afraid of saying something stupid or afraid of making a mistake. And in my conversations with many, many people just in the last couple of years, the majority of them understand that something that they say may be offensive to somebody else. So that's not the biggest fear. The biggest fear is how we treat that person once they say it. We label them, we call them whatever, a racist, a sexist, a homophobic, anti-Semitic, and we fully treat them that way, and then we denigrate and demean them for saying it, you didn't say it right, or you used the wrong word, and essentially just beat them up verbally, and then they disengage, and then we don't even see that we were part of that disengagement. Had I not treated you in a way that was demeaning and denigrating, 
we might have been able to have a conversation had I been able to say something else, because a lot of times what I hear is somebody does something based on race, in regards to whether anybody knows that person, right away they label them as a racist, immediately. And then it kicks in this whole marketing campaign in our heads that says, oh, racists are this, and racists do that, and racists act like that. This person may be unconscious, have a blind spot, and not even be aware of what they were doing and the impact that it had, which doesn't take away from the impact. What I'm saying, though, is that we can't keep beating each other up for being normal because nobody's perfect, and I make mistakes, and I say things incorrectly from somebody else's perspective, and I would rather have a conversation because labeling you any of the isms is going to put you on the defensive, and it's going to make me justify Yes, you are. No, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. That's a lose-lose conversation. So another approach is to really think about what's a question I can ask here? Because there's a question in everything that goes on, especially today in our country and in our communities, because we are in this adaptive time where nobody has the answer. There's a guy named Ron Heifetz who talks about adaptive leadership. and and the idea of adaptive leadership is that we don't have the answers for the things that are going on. No one person holds the answer to how we're going to get through this pandemic. No one person holds the answer for how we're going to transform a political system, a healthcare system, a justice system, an economic system that are having disparaging impacts on certain people based on race and stereotypes and biases and judgment. And so all of these systems are now to the point of saying, we need to be looked at. And we can either choose to do that or we can choose to not do it. I don't think there's a gray area. I can't make excuses about what I see political leaders do on all levels of political spectrum and in all parties. I can't deny that education has not been meeting the needs of a certain group of kids for many, many years. Nor can I deny that when I was an administrator in an educational system, that there were days when I perpetuated systemic racism because I had to carry out policies and practices that I knew were going to impact largely our students of color, but I didn't have the power to change it. And so understanding that and not calling myself a bad person allows me to be able to think about how do I want to interject this narrative or this mindset that I have now and really support people in all of these systems to have the conversations that are so necessary. So I've shared a lot with you. And what I'm going to do is I love for people to just kind of take it in and think about what you're saying so we're going to put some beats on. And beats, for those of you who don't know beats, it's just a rhythm of music that's going to be put on by a friend of mine who I'll tell you about later for about two minutes. As these things play, think about what you heard. Think about what you're feeling. Think about what you're angry about. Think about what you don't agree with. Think about what you agree with. And if I were sitting right there in front of you, what would be the conversation you would like to have? Because I'm not sharing this to the world for agreement. I'm sharing this so that we can start to remind ourselves and practice having conversations with each other and getting to know each other. Because that's been exacerbated through the pandemic. We've been seeing each other through screens and there are ways to really develop deep relationships through Zoom. You just have to facilitate things a little bit differently. And it's still a challenge because we're used to being in the presence of each other, of feeling emotion, of seeing emotion, of hearing all the things that we now see over a screen that in your mind might be talking about it from a perspective that you can't connect with that person. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to think about what's what's up for you right now. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about narratives. 
that you took those couple of minutes listening to those beats and really thought through what you are feeling, thinking, agree with, disagree with, want to know more about, don't care about after listening to the podcast up to that point. And if you got to the last question about if I were sitting there, what would be a question or a conversation you want to have with me? And I would really encourage you to take that and find somebody that you're close to and you care about and have that conversation with them. Ask a question. Tell a story. Talk about what you're feeling. To understand impact means that we have to increase self-awareness and critical self-reflection. Because when I was looking at the impact of my behavior when I was young and I didn't have the skills and the understandings that I have today, I looked at it through the lens of what's wrong with everybody else. Because obviously the way I think and the way I do things are the correct way. Now what I've learned over the course of my life is that my way is one perspective. And my approach is is my approach. And if in some way my approach hurts another person, I want to understand that. I don't want to play the victim anymore by blaming other people. And I don't want to have so many blind spots that I don't see the real impact of my behavior on others. And so when we go back to the intent, it's really the story that we tell ourselves or the narrative. And I think narrative is a really important part of this process, way more important than I ever thought until I really started jumping into my work. Because we all tell stories all day long, either inside our head or outside to other people. Some of us may talk to ourselves telling stories while you're in the shower or riding in the car or sitting at home. And so these narratives actually drive our behavior. It's not my behavior that creates the way that I think. It's the way that I think that creates the behaviors that I have. And I've learned that both through my own experience in my own personal growth journey, which is going to keep going until I die. I will never be perfect at being human. And so for me, this work is about practice. It's not about perfection. And the narratives are a really important part of what drives us. And so narratives, again, are just those thoughts that you think every day, consciously or unconsciously, about things, about people, about processes, about systems, about outcomes. They're basically everything that encompasses what goes on in our brain every single day, which is a lot. And the number of things that are actually conscious are really small. So part of my desire to do this work is if I'm only going to be conscious of a small percentage of the things that I experience in a day, I really want to know what they are. I don't want to miss any of them, whether they're 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. I want to be aware of them and I want to be conscious and present. So here's how narratives play out. When I grew up, my dad was hurt and hurt people hurt people. And so he had his own stories of pain and trauma that I never really got to hear because we didn't have a great relationship. He started to take his anger out on me when I was very young, eight, nine years old, with both um, physically and verbally. And verbally, 
the message is that he gave me verbatim where you'll never be successful and you'll never amount to anything. The stories that I made up about those narratives in my life was that I was a loser. I didn't deserve care. I'm not any good. I won't have good relationships. And so, so the narrative, I did not create that. I was given that. The behaviors that I created from that narrative are mine. And so while I don't have to own the narrative, I have to own the outcome of the narrative. And so when I grew up not feeling like I should be cared for or that I'm a loser or I'll never amount to anything or I'm just a bad person, then I created behaviors to show that that was actually true. And in some ways, I modeled the behavior I saw with my dad. So I would take those same command and control type of behaviors out into my relationships all the while with this narrative that I'd never be successful. I'd never amount to anything. And when I was young, I was completely unconscious of this. I had no idea. It's what you call implicit. There was no understanding of any of that happening, nor the impact that it had on my family. I was that unconscious and unaware. And so as I grew up, and I started to see how this narrative was impacting me, it wasn't very fun. And I was like 17, 18 years old when I had to start looking at myself and realize that the one thing I did know is I didn't have very many friends and very few people trusted me. And when that is happening to you over and over and over again, at a certain point, I have to look at it and say, what is it about me? Because 100 people can't be wrong. 40, maybe. After I saw it oh, hundreds of times, I had to start to look at my own behavior. And so I had to start looking at these narratives. And the narrative about not being successful was a hard one because up to that point, I don't think I had been successful. I didn't do great in school. I didn't really care about working. I wasn't heading off to college. It was just, I was in trouble, essentially. And so I had to shift that narrative. So the narrative of you'll never be successful, you'll never amount to anything, I actually had to shift it to you can do anything you set your mind to. And when I was 18 years old, I didn't believe that at all. Because for the last nine years, my narrative had been you'll never be successful and you'll never amount to anything. So that drove all my behaviors. So as I shifted this narrative to you can accomplish any task that you want, I didn't know at the time what I do know now, though, is I didn't want to use the word success because that's a subjective word that's open to interpretation by any of you listening will have a different idea about what success looks like for you. So I didn't do this at the time I started this, but Today, I'm choosing to not use that. Even, even in my work today, it's I, I can accomplish anything I want. I can make a difference because success is based on factors that may or may not be in my control. And I just don't want to have that driving everything that I do. So at first, I didn't believe it. It's that whole thing, fake it till you make it. Well, I was faking it. I didn't believe I was successful. And even when I was successful at accomplishing something, I'd walk away. And at some point in that next 24 hours, that little voice would come in. Oh, you'll never be successful. You'll never amount to anything. And every time it came in, I pushed it out. And every time it came in, I pushed it out. And I became more and more aware of how frequently I saw myself as a loser and someone who would never accomplish anything. And then as I started to grow, I started to see how the things that happened, almost being kicked out of school during high school was a reflection of that. The relational issues that I had connected to my sister dying really suddenly all connected to that. The problems that I had with the police before I turned 18 were all a part of that whole narrative of you'll never be successful, you'll never amount to anything. And 
so as I started to shift this narrative, I started to believe in it a little bit more. After a number of years, I'll just be really honest, this stuff doesn't change overnight. And then I noticed that I wanted to change my behaviors. So my behavior slowly started to change, and I did more work on bringing up the feeling emotions of empathy and compassion and love and caring and started to use them more and more and eventually don't even have to say the narrative that I can accomplish anything because I know that I can as long as I put my mind to it. I'm pretty tenacious with things and I don't give up easily and I am driven to my why, which is to make a more humane world. And so what I'm telling you in this is if you want to change your behavior, think about the narratives that drive the behavior. Think about the things you think about yourself, about other people, the stereotypes you have, the way that you judge them, the way that you categorize them. And it's not to say that we'll ever stop doing that because that's a normal part of our humanity is we just make shortcuts and so we put people into these boxes. It's just that if the box I put you in, if through getting to know you, I realize that it doesn't fit you, then I need to take it, take you out of it. It's my box. So I need to realize that, oh, you don't really behave this way. Or even though you're this ethnicity or race or gender or socioeconomic, you don't act like that. So it's up to me to take you out of the box that I created for you to get to know you for who you really are. Because regardless of, of what we call this work, when we are creating the structure to really be self-aware and self-critical about our biases and judgments and stereotypes, the question that we're solving for is, do my biases, judgments, and stereotypes inhibit or enhance my ability to be in authentic relationship with you? An authentic relationship means getting to know you for who you are and not the story that I'm making up about you through my lens of stereotype, bias, and judgment. We're going to have two completely different actions based on how I show up in that conversation. And when I was young, I didn't see people as authentic. I just put everybody in a box. And depending on the box you got put in in my world, that's how you would be treated. And so the other piece that I want to talk a little bit about is the capacity and the, and the ability to change. I think every human being has the ability to shift narratives and behaviors if you feel like they're not serving, they're not serving you. And I didn't even know that was possible when I was younger. And I had to ask myself this question many, many times, and I ask it to all the groups that I work with. What is it that we're holding on to that no longer serves us? I had to ask myself, what is it that I'm holding on to that no longer serves me? And that's a great question. If you really want to dive deeper into your own shifts in narratives and behavior, what are you holding on to that no longer serves you? Because our ability to change is, is also a way that we're all similar. We all go through similar brain aspects and, and research shows that we have similar ideologies around fight or flight and getting into our prefrontal cortex and how do we use our cognitive part of our brain to be able to make changes and you can go to workshops and read books and, and then once you go to all those, you have to be able to take the steps. And one of the reasons why I do this work is because I realized that when I started out on this path of change, I would go to workshops and I would read books. And the biggest thing I would see was just do the work. Just do the work. It sounds so easy. Just you want to change, just do the work. 
And I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, so I would love to do the work. Can you give me a few tips on what they are like? What's the steps that I should take? And only through many, many years of my own personal change process have I realized that as human beings, there is a similar step that will support all of us if you make the choice to want to do something different or to let go of something that's not serving you. And so, so I think that if you want to get started on this path or if you want to go deeper on this path, the key is self-awareness, the key is critical self-reflection, and a key is being honest about intent and impact. And then realizing that when the impact doesn't match the intent, then something has to change. When I was younger and the impact didn't match the intent, my question was, what's wrong with you? And now that I've gotten a little older, when my impact doesn't match my intent, my question is, what is it about me that's experiencing you like this? What is it about me that's experiencing you like this? See, if we want to get through this tumultuous time that we're in, we have to stop seeing each other as the other and realize that we have to create a sense of belonging, which has its own challenge because this country was created from a very individualistic perspective. And to work together, we have to be more communal. We have to think about each other. We have to understand that my behavior has a ripple effect on numerous people. And what I see in the America today is that we have divisiveness. We have people calling each other names. We have people yelling at each other. We have people killing each other. And all in the sake and in the name of their approach that says, this is the right way, or this is what I'm doing for you. It's just another form of broken representative democracy. It's a group of people who are saying, let me speak for everyone. Well, we typically don't even speak for our group. I don't speak for a group. I speak for myself. And so as we go through this time together, I'm just going to implore you and encourage you to think about what is it that you're not saying? What is it that you could bring into this conversation that would create a way for people to have their voices heard? Part of what we're seeing in this whole systemic upheaval is what happens when people are silenced for any reason, because they're marginalized, because they don't have a spokesperson, because somebody else said that you're less than. Um, pick whatever reason. And until we find value with each other, it's going to be really challenging uh, to create the kind of communities that are collaborative and truly do work together as people. And so I'm going to close here. And as I close, I'm going to ask you to really think about if you wanted to have a conversation with somebody about any of the things I'm sharing with you, what would it be? And I'll, I'll add this too, is that I don't do this for agreement. So even if you don't agree with something, there's still a conversation there that we could have. And it can't be just pushed from this idea of, I don't agree with you because it doesn't match what I believe. What I'm interested in knowing is what you believe that leads you to then this behavior of I don't agree or I do agree, because that's not really what it's about. It's about acceptance. We don't have to agree on everything. We do have to find some way to accept that what's happening here is rooted in some really, really deep conversations that I haven't even touched on yet today. We could talk about later the impact of being white in America as the culture shifts to this browning of America, as people are calling it, which has been going on for years and years and years. And what happens when we have to share power? So that's going to be a future podcast talking about just power and privilege overall, how that plays out. 
So I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank you for engaging. And to me, awareness without action is a waste of time. So the step that's most critical in this, once you become self-aware, is to take an action, any action, take a step. Just do something different than what you did yesterday or 10 minutes ago around this same topic. And if you're interested in being a part of this podcast, you can connect with me through our website, DeLaCruzSolutions.com, because my goal overall on this is to bring more voices in, to really hear what people are doing and to get perspectives that we can all start to listen to. So I want to thank you. This is the Origination Point podcast. This is my passion, my why. And I'll start leave where I started, where talking about Simon Sinek's book, that people don't follow how or what, they follow why. So my why is to make a, the world a more humane place. My how is this podcast. I do development work with people. I do coaching work. I published a book called Finding the Origination Point, Understanding Our Biases to Create a More Peaceful World. And mostly what I do is I create a bridge for people to come together, to step back and forth and get to know each other beyond our role and our title. So thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time and keep growing. Thanks for listening to the Origination Point Podcast. If you would like to get in touch or have any questions for Bill Dela Cruz, please email him at b.delacruz at comcast.net. That's b.d.e.l.a.c.r.u.z at comcast.net. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow Bill on his Instagram and Twitter. You can find him at b.i.l.l.d.e.l.a.c. And be sure to check out our website, DelaCruzSolutions.com, where you can purchase Bill's book, Finding the Origination Point, and you can also find a lot more content related to these topics. Thanks for listening.